Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the gift of your Holy Word by which your Holy Spirit enters our hearts, causing us to come to faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you also tonight for the blessings that we have enjoyed in our lives from the great reformation of your church. Keep us firm in this faith throughout our lives that someday we may stand in your presence forevermore. We ask it all in our Lord's saving name. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed who have been purchased and bought back to God by the suffering, death, and resurrection of his only Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God's grace, kindness, and compassion are yours to be found alone in that Savior. Amen. Here now again the final portion of our reading for tonight from 1 Corinthians. St. Paul writes, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. Alice Cooper, Tim Tebow, Simone Biles, Denzel Washington, Kirk Cousins, the actor Chris Pratt, Steph Curry, all of these individuals publicly profess to be Christians. It's kind of rare to have somebody who is of any notoriety uh, express faith in Christ Jesus as their savior in our culture. And yet there are a few here and there, and quite often Christians know who they are. And we kind of, we kind of uh, find them out and pay attention to that. St. Paul writes about this when he says, You see your calling, brethren, writing to the Christians in Corinth, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Once in a while, there may be someone of notoriety, but it's actually quite uncommon. Think of our Lord's own disciples that he had with him. If you were in a marketplace in Capernaum and saw them with him shopping and things, they probably smelled a little bit like fish and probably just blended in with all the other people that were there that day. God would have believers in Christ know throughout the centuries that if you love this Savior and if you align yourself with his church, don't expect, don't expect the praise of the world. Don't expect great notoriety, and don't expect people to shower you with large sums of money. God has always chosen to operate in very lowly ways in this fallen world. And he has chosen to conceal himself in things in this world that, that the world itself would consider to be irrelevant and meaningless. The Greek words here are base things, things that are insignificant, things that don't seem to matter. Things treated with contempt is one of the words, is what it means. Things that just seem to amount to absolutely nothing. 
When the wise men came to Jerusalem looking for the birth of the Christ child, the birth of this king, they went, rightly so, according to the world's thinking, to a palace, expecting to find royalty. They did not expect to be sent to a little food trough for animals and to see a very lowly couple there. While the world is paying attention to the Fortune 500 top billionaires, Christ is focused on the widow and her might outside of the temple at the alms box. While the world is rejoicing over the latest advancement in iPhone technology, heaven is rejoicing over one sinner who repents. God operates in a whole different mode in this world than the way we might expect or expect him to operate. And he often hides his goodness and hides his mercy towards us, towards you, of all places, inside of a dead body, the dead corpse of his son, even, according to the world's standards, a common criminal. Think of that, the very payment for your sin, the very ransom price that would buy you into the gates of heaven, that God used to purchase you back to himself and redeem you, all of that has been worked out through one of the most despised things that people run away from and try to stay away from, a dead body. Even using the height of his intellectual powers, man would never ever conceive of the gospel. It's just not something we would come up with. Luther rightly calls it an alien teaching. It had to come from outside of us. It could not come from the minds of scholars or the common man. It is a completely foreign thought to how we would operate in the world. And in order to magnify for us, from God, to magnify all the more that the very conversion in our hearts that has taken place for us to love this Savior, in order to magnify that that had to be entirely by God's doing, God has wrapped all the things of his kingdom and his truth into something that the world, by its wisdom, thinks is foolishness and ridiculous. God refuses to let you and me become conceited about the fact that we are Christians. In order to make sure that all of the glory would be given only to him for the faith that right now is alive in your heart, he has hidden himself into the most basic elements that this world can find. Water, bread, wine, and words. That's how he has chosen to operate. And none of us would ever on our own have thought, that's where I will find the gate of heaven. None of us would ever have thought, that's where I could go to find God. Listen to what Luther says. Do not seek a new and foolish entrance, but look in faith at the place where the word and the sacraments are. Direct your step to the place where the word resounds and the sacraments are administered, and there write the gate of God. How silly it all looks to the world. But this is where God goes about the work of his kingdom. There's something else in our text tonight that I would like to speak specifically to those who may be in positions of leadership in the church, whether in teaching positions or pastors, and maybe even many of the, the devout Christians who are here tonight, members of the choir and so on. 
There's a unique spiritual pitfall that can sometimes happen to people, and it, it, it really came home to me many years ago when I was a pastor in a congregation. There was a, a man in the church who just had what you might consider just a stellar reputation, just thought of as being a, a, just a saint, and everybody thought so highly of him and had such, such a high opinion of him and so on. And he came in to talk to me, and he was really troubled by, by the fact that he had this reputation and he the reason was because he knew so much different about himself he knew his own life he he knew the way he had been and how he thinks and and all of this and he felt like I can't possibly live up to what other people think of me and he I remember him saying I feel sometimes like I'm living a lie because so many people think I'm such a wonderful Christian and and yet I really know the truth about myself if you're like me in your life of sanctification, when you look at it, you realize you've lived a life of incompleteness. Are you possibly held in a position of, of very high esteem? And yet at the same time, you know that God knows the absolute worst about you? He's things, he knows things and can know things that are even beyond what your conscience could possibly remember. He reads us like an open book. He sees the internal rage that builds up with us that, that we've somehow managed to keep in so that nobody else finds out about it. He sees how we may look at certain individuals and stare at them, even our own parishioners or people in classrooms, impure thoughts and images that maybe are imprinted in people's memories. He hears the internal words in our minds that, that we would love to speak and say to people, but because, because of that reputation thing, we hold it back and don't let anybody know about it. How easily, how easily this almighty, all-knowing God could choose to expose me, could choose to expose you. How little it would take to have this whole house of cards of my call or this whole house of cards of your reputation as such a wonderful Christian just come crashing down if he really wanted to. And yet, despite knowing all of that about me and you, he still allows people like me to serve in this office. He still permits you to congregate with his believers. He still permits people like me to take our sinful hands and drip the water of his precious baptism onto the heads of children, and to place the very body and blood of his son into the mouths of his sheep so they could be forgiven. God knows the absolute worst about me. He knows the absolute worst about you. And he still loves you. He still cares about you. He still has chosen to look at you through the blood of his son, rather than exposing who you are and who I am. He has chosen to look at you through the holy, perfect record that he himself had to create and give to you and has given to you in the gift of faith. And the Holy Spirit wants you to know this. Look closely at the text again. He says to us that not only has Christ become for us our wisdom from God, not only has he become for us your righteousness, the, the gown that he's dressed you in, not only has he become for you your redemption, in other words, the very payment that bought you back to God, but I love this, he has also become your sanctification. 
the part of our faith that we just can't do totally right, that may bother us, where the devil likes to pick at us in that area of our lives and make us feel worthless before God. Even that he has become for you. In other words, he's covered every aspect of your spiritual life. He's covered every aspect, every angle before his heavenly Father in heaven on your behalf. And so God wants us to just live in that knowledge and to live in that wonderful truth of his grace and this mercy that he showers down upon us. Luther had a great way to say it. He said, mock the devil when he tries to rob you because there's nothing to steal. Tell him, I don't have any personal righteousness. In other words, you're looking for righteousness in the wrong place. You should look instead to the Savior that God has given us such faith in. There's a beautiful hymn verse that I'd like to close with by a hymn writer named Johann Illyrius. Lord, thy mercy will not leave me. Truth doth evermore abide. Then in thee I will confide. Since thy word cannot deceive me, my salvation is for me well assured eternally. Thanks be to God. Amen.